can just prepare, ready yourselves to worship. Okay, well, welcome to our Sheepgate Fellowship Sunday service for July 2nd, 2023. I hope all of you had a wonderful week. It's a pleasure and honor to be with you all as the Lord invites us to his table and into his sanctuary to worship him. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we begin, let's recite together the confession of our faith through the Apostles' Creed. Let's rise together from our seats, and uh, if you need it, the creed is on the screen for you. This is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I'd like to begin our time this afternoon with a call to worship. Uh, I'm going to read to you from Psalm 89, verses 5 to 7. And if it helps, you can certainly close your eyes and listen to the words of the psalmist as the Lord invites you and welcomes you as children of God to worship him this afternoon. Psalm 89, verses 5 to 7. It reads, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. The words of the psalmist declares to us that... Um, the God is uh, one who assembles his holy ones, right? That in his faithfulness, by his faithfulness and his covenant faithfulness, are we here today. And there is no one, whether it be on land or in the skies or anywhere in this universe, that compares to him. And so the questions are posed to us. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like him? And of course the answer is no. These are rhetorical questions. Certainly the psalmist knows the proper answer. And I'm sure that in your hearts, as believers and followers of Jesus, you too can comprehend this obvious answer, that there is none like him, which means that worship of God is unique and distinct, that it is to be singularly to him and him alone. At this time, let's direct our attention to God and our focus and our hearts. I'd like to begin this time with a confession of sin, so let's close our eyes 
and silently pray a prayer of confession, a prayer of repentance, a turning away from the sins of our lives. It's very easy at this time when I direct you um, to just pray a very simple, generic prayer. But I ask you to possibly consider and contemplate the specific sins that you've been struggling recently in your life. For example, just this past week, what are the sins that have been so present in you? And let's confess those things before God, for Jesus died for them. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's take a minute to just close our eyes in silent prayer and pray this prayer of repentance before him. Let us pray. Proverbs 28:13 He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion and of course we know um, as New Testament believers that this compassion is found and most powerfully and most clearly exemplified to us in the cross of Jesus Christ so praise be to him for he came and died for us I'd like to draw your attention that this time before we go into our communion to our screen where the Heidelberg Catechism question number 7 is present before you. This question is simple. It reads, from where then did mom, man's, moms, did man's depraved nature, mom as well, from where then did man's depraved nature come, right? Where then did man's depraved nature come? And the answer reads, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents. Of course, that's in reference to Adam and Eve. In paradise, Garden of Eden, for there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. You can, of course, read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and see creation, fall, and curse of man. And so that's where our origin and where original sin originates. So you can certainly turn to Scripture and find where that corruption occurred. So, brothers and sisters, I'd like to pray uh, a short prayer for us, and then um, Reverend Park will lead us in a time of communion as we partake in the elements over the sacrament of the Lord's table. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this afternoon. Lord, who is like you? Who in the skies can be compared to you? Who among the heavenly beings is like you? You are a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, awesome above all who are around. So Lord, would you be praised and worshipped in this assembly? I ask that we would remember your faithfulness to us as we are so unfaithful to you. God, we thank you for your, your son, Jesus Christ, who came and died for us, who rose from the grave to conquer death and sin, that in him, and our, that in him we find hope, that we find reason 
and meaning. We thank you so much for looking upon us with mercy and compassion. Sinners so depraved that we are in constant strife with the evil nature that has corrupted us, the deprivation that exists within us because of our parents who in paradise turned from you and ate of that fruit. And here we are living out lives that are so corrupt before you and we live almost numb to the sin that exists within us. Help us, O Lord, to be in constant reminder of the depth of transgression and the eternal consequence that each transgression holds. But as we see sin as such, as such a hold upon us and with such a hold upon us and with such anchoring in our lives that we remember that we are set free by your Son. For in him, we are free. Free from death and free from this hopelessness and rather to have life and hope in him. We thank you so much and we gather together in remembrance of this and we partake in the elements this afternoon as a church and as a community of believers in remembrance of Christ, your son. Pray all this in his name, amen. At this time, we're gonna have... Um, our monthly time of communion. And so uh, I'll leave it to Reverend Park and I'll translate for you all and then uh, we'll partake in the elements. 사랑하는 여러분들, 성찬식은 예수님께서 재림하실 때까지 그의 죽으심을 기억하고 그의 은혜에 감사하는 예식입니다. 여러분들 중에는 예수님을 믿는 사람도 있고 지금 이 시간 예수님께 마음을 열고 믿고자 하는 사람도 있을 것입니다. 우리 모두 이 성찬에 참여할 수 있습니다. 따라서 우리 모두가 예수 그리스도의 십자가의 사랑을 체험하는 시간이 되시기를 바랍니다. Uh, dearly beloved, the Lord's Supper is a sacrament that our Lord Jesus Christ commanded his disciples to do in remembrance of him until his return. It is to remember his death and his grace. The hope is that those who partake in the Lord's Supper are unified in Christ and are reconciled as a community in him. 기도하겠습니다. Let's pray. 사랑의 하나님 지금 우리는 우리의 죄를 위해 살이 찢기시고 피를 흘려주신 예수님의 사랑을 체험하고자 합니다. 우리가 믿음으로 주님의 떡을 먹고 주님의 잔을 마실 때에 성령님을 통해서 십자가의 사랑을 깨닫게 해 주옵소서. 우리 주 예수 그리스도의 이름으로 기도드립니다. O living God, help us at this time to reflect on your son Jesus Christ whose flesh was torn and whose blood was spilled on our behalf. May we receive the body of Christ and the blood of Christ by faith. May the Spirit work in us as we, part, as we take the bread and the wine by faith. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 주님께서 잡히시던 밤이었습니다. 우리 주님은 사랑하는 제자들과 함께 마지막 6월절 식사를 하셨습니다. 그때 떡을 들어 축사하셨습니다. 그리고 그 떡을 떼시면서 말씀하십니다. 이것은 너희를 위하여 상하고 찢긴 내 몸이다. 받으라. 먹으라 우리 주님이 명령하셨습니다. 이제 주님의 명령대로 주의 떡을 함께 받겠습니다. It was the night of our Lord's arrest. Our Lord was eating the final Passover meal with his loving disciples. At that time, he took the bread and he blessed it. And as he broke the bread, he spoke these words, This is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it.
the Lord commanded them. And as he commanded, we too will take and eat. Now, as we do each month, um, we'll line up starting from the back rows. You'll come up, and if you could uh, come up on the right-hand side of the aisle, take um, one bread, and then return to your seats and wait for everyone to receive the element, and we'll, par- and we'll eat together. Um, I'd also like to um, just obviously give you uh, the heads up that uh, we ask that only those who are confessing believers of Jesus Christ and followers of him uh, who have faith uh, to come up and uh, partake in the elements. If you're still considering or are unsure of your salvation or your faith, I ask you to remain in your seats prayerfully and consider the good news of Jesus for he has come and died for you and consider uh, what, what he may mean to you in your life, right? Uh, and so if you could relent from partaking in the elements that would be uh, most wise and recommended uh, from our end. Uh, And if you are a believer but are not yet baptized or confirmed, you can also remain in your seats. Of course, we just ask uh, for those, for uh, very specific reasons for those things. Um, But yes, everyone else is welcome to come and partake in the elements. So with that said, we'll begin with the back rows and you can just come down the right aisle and uh, receive the bread. As we remember Jesus Christ who broke his body for us, let's take and eat. Our Lord is going to sleep in his bed and he has given his love to his friends. 이것은 너희를 위하여 흘리는 내 피다. 너희와 나 사이에 맺어진 새 언약의 피다. 받으라, 마시라 명령하셨습니다. 이제 주님의 말씀대로 이 잔을 받겠습니다. After the meal, our Lord lifted his cup and blessed it. And as he gave his cup to his loving disciples, he spoke, This is my blood poured out for you, the new covenant established between you and I. Take it and drink, he commanded them. We will now take this cup as the Lord directed. 
So in the same way, we'll begin with the back rows. You can come up and take one cup. Let's remember the blood of Christ poured out for us on the cross. Let's take and drink. Let's pray. 은혜의 하나님, 우리는 지금 믿음으로 예수님의 살을 먹고 예수님의 피를 마셨습니다. 이제부터 우리는 예수님 십자가의 사랑을 영원히 기억하겠습니다. 또한 예수님은 교회의 머리가 되시고 우리는 예수님의 제자들이 되겠습니다. 우리 모두 믿음으로 하나 되어 하나님을 사랑하고 우리의 이웃을 사랑하며 섬기겠습니다. 예수님의 이름으로 기도드립니다. O living God and gracious God, we thank you. By faith we have eaten the body of Christ and drank his blood. We will forever remember the grace of the cross of Christ. We will serve the body of Christ as a loving community with our brothers and sisters. Which we have now become a part of through our union with Christ. We pray all this in His name. Amen. 예, 사랑한 여러분들이요, 우리는 예수님의 몸인 교회의 지체들입니다. 서로 사랑하고 서로 섬기며 하나님의 나라를 위한 영원한 복음을 전합시다. Dearly beloved, we're now members of Christ's body. We proclaim the gospel of Christ and serve the kingdom of God as we love one another and serve one another. We pray that there will be a blessing of grace. Uh, through today's worship and service. We'll greet one This concludes our time of uh, communion, partaking of the Lord's Supper. Before we go in a, into our time of singing, uh, I'd like to 
just shortly pray for us, and then our praise team will lead us as we sing to God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much as we partake in these elements and uh, we observe once again a sacrament that's so uh, symbolic to us of Christ's death on the cross, his uh, breaking of his body, and the pouring out of his blood on our behalf. We remember the death that we should have died. We remember the death that we deserve. We remember uh, the penalty of sin uh, as recorded for us in scripture for the wage of sin is death, and that's the death that we ought to have received uh, because we are sinners. But praise be to you and your holy name and your will, for you sent your son to die on our behalf. And it's so undeserved, grace so magnificent, we are in awe. And we ask, O oh Lord, as we sing to you, that we remember your son, Jesus. We thank you and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's rise from our seats and sing together. Oh, my soul, put your hope in me. 
It's a pleasure to be with you all uh, once again on this glorious Sunday and on this wonderful Lord's Day as we come together to worship Him. As we continue our sermon series, we're in Mark 7, 
verse 24, verses 24 to 30. If you have a Bible, please turn it to Mark chapter 7, verse 24, and we'll be reading up to verse 30. I'm sure many of you have read uh, this particular uh, narrative before. Perhaps here in Mark, um, you read this exact text, and I'm sure uh, you've heard a sermon or two on the Syrophoenician women that Jesus encounters in Tyre. That's exactly where we find ourselves. Let me quickly remind you of what we read last week in Mark 7. We're, uh, of course, reading, uh, well, the first part of Mark 7 is a dispute. It's an argument that occurs between Jesus and uh, the Pharisees, right, Uh, regarding uh, the disciples who make their food unclean because they don't wash their hands, and it's ceremonially deemed unclean. And, of course, an explanation of that occurs. Last week, we looked at uh, the core of sin, right, that it lies at the heart of man. And uh, we read verses 14 to 23 to understand Jesus' teaching on where sin comes from, that it comes from within, that it's not our hands that defile the things external, uh, but the things externally that are unrighteous before God, the things we do, uh, all come and stem from uh, inner corrupted and depraved heart. So we find ourselves in verse 24 with Jesus on the move. So let's read it together. I'll read from my Bible. You can follow in yours. Mark 7, verse 24 to 30. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it. Yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, A woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. Amen. Today's sermon is entitled, He, of course, in reference to Christ, cannot be hidden. After his dispute with the Pharisees regarding ceremonial cleansing and the traditions of the elders, Jesus goes on the move. And he enters into the Gentile territories of Tyre and Sidon. Next week, we'll look at uh, his entrance into Sidon, uh, which would be modern-day Lebanon, if you're familiar uh, geographically with that region. This is not an insignificant geographical endeavor, as the Jews saw Gentile regions, such as Tyre and Sidon, as places of, you guessed it, uncleanliness. And there's the connective tissue we're looking for in this story to its prior Jesus, just coming off a dispute with the Pharisees on which foods were clean or unclean, he now enters purposely into unclean land. Scholars ponder here because the same journey is noted for us in Matthew's gospel, but both Mark and Matthew omit the details of why Jesus chose to make this trek. Now, the exact purpose may be left in the dark for us, but the connection is simple. From pointing ahead to a time in which all foods will be deemed clean. Jesus now points to a time in which all people will be deemed clean as well. And they too will be welcomed into the new covenant family of God. The church, just as all foods, will be welcomed for consumption. 
Now, that time was not yet, at least at the moment that this particular episode occurs. But you can see how Mark and Matthew looked back, probably speaking to Peter, and realized the importance of Jesus' entrance into these Gentile territories in light of what he accomplished on the cross and through the grave. And what a realization it must have been for them in penning their Gospels, right? Today's passage depicts a woman, a singular woman, of Gentile background, which we will touch on, and she comes to Jesus because of her daughter, who is demon-possessed. She seeks, like many others did in Mark's Gospel, Jesus' miracle healing power. But what stands out is not so much that Jesus again performs a miracle, but that the woman speaks of things that are far greater than perhaps anyone realized in the moment she spoke them, outside of Jesus, of course. Let us unpack the text to see what that profound realization was and is and what it means for us today. Three points to today's sermon. Firstly, the history of the Jews and Phoenicia. So we're going to take a quick look at that. Then we're going to look at from Abraham to the nations. Then finally, the children and the dogs, which sounds like a really cute Instagram account, right? Children and the dogs. Firstly, the history of the Jews in Phoenicia. I'm going to approach our analysis of today's text and our exegesis of the text today uh, by kind of peeling away layers of the text that are important for your understanding of its main teaching points. Okay? The first layer that we must understand before we start peeling our way to the core reading of the text is the layer of historical context. It's quite important in today's text. I don't always give you the historical context, but in this case, it's pretty important. Tyre is located northwest of Galilee and was formerly known as Phoenicia. In the Old Testament, Phoenicia was the home of Jezebel. Now, of course, you, those of you, and I'm sure all of you, uh, Old Testament keen readers know exactly who Jezebel is. But just to refresh your memory, I will tell you who Jezebel is. And if you're unfamiliar with Jezebel altogether, well, you came to the right service. She was the wife of King Ahab, or Ahab, as recorded for us in 1 Kings. Now, Ahab was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, you remember uh, that uh, Israel, right, after they get the promised land and they go through this whole ordeal, uh, when we get to 1 Kings, 2 Kings, um, and after David Solomon, right, uh, it separates into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern, very much like Korea, right? North Korea, South Korea, right? So it splits into the north and south, and the south is uh, much bigger, and it's Judah, and then you have the north, the smaller kingdom of Israel. So they actually have two simultaneous kings, right? There's kings of Israel and there's kings of Judah, right? And the first and second kings records for us uh, the reign of these kings, right? So if you ever read first kings and second kings, that's what you see. So Ahab was one of these kings and he was, the, he was a king of the southern kingdom, the southern kingdom of, Ju of Judah. Um, he was not a great king and many of them were not actually. <laughs> Ahab's reign occurred during the times of the prophets Elijah and Elisha. Yeah, I, really, I really wish their names were slightly more distinct, right? It's like, my, name's or my disciple's name is Elisha, right? If you remember, imagine being Elijah, it's like, yeah, like I'm discipling this guy named Elisha, right? It's like, yeah, of course you are. Um, but anyways, their names are Elijah and Elisha. And you probably uh, remember, um, or you probably recall some of the episodes regarding these prophets. They're quite famous. Jezebel was the daughter of the priest king Ethbel, who ruled the cities of Tyre and Sidon. So there's those terms, those cities that we're looking for, Tyre and Sidon. 
the same Tyre we find Jesus traveling to in today's passage. Because her father was a priest of the pagan gods of Phoenicia, hence the name Eth Baal, right? Like, that, that wasn't a giveaway that you are a Baal priest. Um, I don't know what else could be. Uh, but she was the daughter of such a priest. And so, upon her marriage to King Ahab, she not only introduced these gods to Ahab, she enticed and persuaded him to worship them, which, of course, he did because uh, he was uh, compelled by this uh, woman, very much so. She also saw uh, to the killing of many of Judah's priests and any of those who opposed her agenda and her will. Now, you might recall Elijah's showdown with the worshipers of Baal, right? Uh, if, if you know this story, right, he goes on top of, uh, or they, go, they challenge each other. They have this sort of bet, right, who can um, bring fire like, from the skies, right? And so there's all this, like, worship, and uh, ultimately Yahweh comes out on top. And, um, of course, the Baal worshipers and the priests, numerous amounts of them are all slain, right, at the hand or by the call of Elijah. And so you might recall that showdown that uh, Elijah has with the worshipers of Baal, who are slain for the disgrace of Yahweh in 1 Kings 18, um, Elijah is faced with the challenge of Jezebel. So Jezebel hears about this challenge that occurs between the Baal worshippers and Elijah, and she hears that he had them slain, and she gets furious in 1 Kings 18, and she actually calls for the killing of Elijah, right? And so he begins to flee, and, he, and uh, she swears, like, she swears, like, I don't, I don't want to say, like, on her grave, but she swears that she, she will have this man killed, right, Elijah. So she's a very aggressive character in, uh, in the Bible. To put it lightly, lightly Jezebel was uh, not a pleasant woman. In Jewish culture, Jezebel became, the term itself, the name itself, became to be known as what they call the wicked woman, right? So, uh, men, be careful if uh, you, ever, you ever meet anyone, uh, single men out there, be careful if you meet anyone named Jezebel. Her character essentially acting as an archetype of such a woman, right? Tyre has this history built into its reputation. And you can imagine what the Jews thought of Jesus' entrance into such a city. So in the eyes of the Jews of Jesus' time, it was not just countercultural, but almost like blasphemous to do this. Right? You can imagine what that reputation would have been among the Jews of Jesus' time. Mark uses as an interesting word for Jesus' travel to this place. He uses a Greek term that does not simply mean that he went or that to go, right? the action of going. This term that he uses has a tone of urgency and necessity, as if it was demanded or required in haste for perhaps emergency purposes. Scholars have theorized, although it cannot be verified, that Jesus was likely escaping the growing Pharisaic disdain for him, as well as the very real threat of Herod's fear of him as opposi opposition to Herod's throne. Whatever the reason, it is shocking that at this time in history, the Messiah, Jew himself, Jesus was a Jew, would travel into territory by his own admonition and be willing to enter a Phoenician's home. So not only does he enter the territory itself, he enters the home of one of its inhabitants. This is not just peculiar, this is shocking to the original hearers. Shocking. Here's how James Edwards puts it in his uh, commentary on Mark. Tyre probably represented the most extreme expression 
of paganism, both actually and symbolically, that a Jew could expect to encounter. So it was absolutely astronomical that Jesus was entering Tyre and into the home of one of the people who lived there. But what was even more extraordinary was, the, was that a woman would go to him. A woman of that place would be able to encounter the Messiah there. Right? This is the last place that you would expect to encounter the Messiah. By Jewish standards, this entrance into Tyre and a Gentile home would be nothing less than utterly, you guessed it, unclean. And the Pharisees thought the not washing of the hands part was bad. This just got way worse. But as we have observed so far in this chapter, Jesus' intent seems to be like he has an agenda against the definitions of unclean. Which leads us to point number two, from Abraham to the nations. Now you're going to need a little bit of uh, covenant theology here and a remembrance of Genesis 12 and the Abrahamic covenant um, to really kind of comprehend and understand my point here in, in terms of bringing this out. Our next layer draws focus on the theological aspect of today's narrative. We've got the historical down. There's some theological layers to this as well. On one hand, the theology of the Jews spoke of the Messiah to be one who would repress the Gentiles, um, oppress the Gentiles for their unfaithfulness. Can you imagine that? that? The expectation, the messianic expectation of the Jews of this time was that the Messiah would come to oppress and to subdue the Gentiles, not to welcome them in. So he would come and cast them out for good, right? Creating that distinction between Jew and Gentile even bolder. Thus cleansing Israel of that which is unclean. National pride, ethnic distinction, pure-bloodedness becoming the symbols of covenant acceptance, and the laws making clear those who were welcome. But here is the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself, in Mark 7, not only in the land of the Gentiles, but entire of all places, the very worst of the Gentile lands. And not only is he found stepping on their land, but into their homes, seated amongst the most foul. How paradoxical it must have been to realize this in hindsight for someone like Peter or Paul to see the Messiah seated with the most unclean. The Messiah who was not only supposed to affirm the distinction between Jew and Gentile, but absolutely finalize it. And yet, after Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, we have verses in the New Testament uh, that read like this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, the Apostle Paul, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And it is only to those who are able to see Christ and his work properly that they can make a sense of the Abrahamic covenant itself. And I will bless you, or I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And here's the point, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. What is the theological and messianic expectation that the Jews possessed? What was their eschatology that their understanding of the, uh, their, their understanding of the end times? Well, it's evident that the Jews of Jesus' time were expecting something quite different from what scripture was promising and pointing towards. Restoration of the glory days of Moses, Joshua, and David inhabited their minds rather than redemption. Their theology was earthly, one could say, rather than heavenly. All throughout scripture, we see God working through his people 
whom he established, the nation of Israel, in hopes that they would be a beacon and messenger of hope to all. You can point to someone like Jonah going to the Ninevites. Where this gets lost to Israel is when they become consumed with being a Jew and not a child of God. Where their hope lies in circumcision and not in their faith. It's easy to share in the same terms, but to have such different definitions and understandings. If the promise by God given to Abraham was a promise not only for Abraham and his descendants, but for all the nations, the families of the earth, then in Jesus we are able to see in episodes like today and ultimately on the cross that Christ alone is the hope for all the nations and the very blessing that was promised initially to Abraham. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises for his people and in him alone is their hope for all. To not see this for what it is is nothing but a theological failure with disastrous consequence. To know so much and yet miss the mark entirely. To long for the Messiah and not know he stands before you. Theological imprecision can lead to such devastating outcomes. So there's your theological layer. And then there's this really peculiar dialogue the children and the dogs. The final error we must peel before drawing some concluding points is to examine the extremely odd and controversial conversation that occurs between the Syrophoenician woman and Jesus. There are some in church history and in the world of scholarship even today that have brought up concerns with verse 27 in particular, where Jesus appears to use a derogatory term in reference to the woman that comes seeking his help. The term in question in verse 27 is the word dog in English. The word in its Greek form referred to women who were shameless. Um, you can kind of figure out what that means. And in Hebrew, the word was used in reference to Gentiles who were viewed as, let's put it lightly, underclass citizens. It's an odd expression to come from Jesus' mouth considering his intent in going into Gentile territory. And... Uh, the posture of the woman at his feet. She seems to be humbly coming before him. She's not provoking Jesus to speak in derogatory terms. Why then would Jesus refer to this woman in this way? Unless, unless it was by design. And of course we know it was by design. If Jesus' intent in going into Tyre was to show that not all people are unclean as the Jews saw it, just as, not, uh, just as much as not all foods are unclean as they saw it, then this word was used by Jesus to emphasize the Jew-Gentile distinction and to poke at its flaws. The response of the woman should tell you everything you need to know, for her response is not defense, it's not discontent or argument. Instead, she accepts the term and owns it. The children that Jesus refers to here is Israel, and the dogs are the Gentiles. The actual term that is used by Jesus is a slight variant of the actual term uh, that is derogatory for do uh, the term defined or translated as dog. The word that is used here is the word kinerion, meaning little or small dog. Now you might think, well, does that make any difference, the size of the dog, <laughs> right? Um, I'll put it into better light for you. This type of dog in Greek terms was usually the dogs that were groomed as house pets. Now why is this significant? It is to say this, whether one views themselves as so-called children of a household or the pet 
of a household, in Christ, it does not matter. They will all be of that household. How can we be certain that this is the teaching? Well, the woman's response to Jesus is extraordinary. And you might have wondered why it was so impressive to Jesus. Because she didn't care whether she was viewed as a person at the table or the pet under it. She was happy to be there eating anything at all. Her concern was simply getting something to eat of that which was served. And Mark uses the term here uh, for feed, right? That even the dogs are fed the crumbs. And this term also means to eat to satisfaction. This same term is only found one other time in all of Mark's gospel in reference to eating. And we've already read it. It's at the feeding of the 5,000. There too, Jesus gave food and all ate to satisfaction. And we know from our reading of that text what it pointed towards. And we can certainly make that same connection today for this woman and the Gentiles that she represents. It is certainly true that Jesus came to feed, but his ministry was firstly to the children of Israel, and that's true. Remember uh, Acts 1.8, power comes upon, or the Spirit comes upon them, and uh, they become witnesses of Christ in all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. There is a outflow or a pouring out of from Israel down to the nations, right? I don't want to say down as in like Israel's higher than us, but to the nations, right? goes from Israel to the nations. History will tell us that that was the case. The Bible tells us that that is the case. Christ himself is telling us that is the case, that his ministry first is to the children of Israel, and through them, the blessing and the good news of Jesus will flow out to the nations. Now, you go into the book of Acts, it's obvious um, that that's exactly what happened, right? If you need further evidence, just look around you right? It's not a Jew in this room. And here we are as a result of just a few Jewish men in the Middle East 2,000 years ago preaching the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere they went. Pretty extraordinary in my mind. It's pretty extraordinary. So yes, it's certainly true that Jesus came to feed and his ministry was firstly to the children of Israel and through them would a greater feeding come to all the peoples of the world. And out of this tiny dialogue with this woman, do we see such grand eschatological and missiological expectations? Incredible. Which leads me to the conclusion. We come to our concluding thoughts and points today with a lot to grasp. I've just given you pieces and layers of the text, but how does it come all together for us? It's evident that this story of a Syrophoenician woman and her encounter with the living God was not only profound, but prominent in pointing listeners and readers in understanding the total scope of Jesus' work accomplished on the cross. Its entire global scope, if you will. Allow me to briefly summarize some key elements of the narrative for you. Jesus, coming off a contentious dialogue with the Pharisees regarding the law and unclean foods, purposely enters an unclean land inhabited by unclean people, by Jewish standards. A woman who has a daughter who is demon-possessed seeks help at Jesus' feet 
For whatever reason, Jesus' fame and acclaim had reached these parts, even these parts. This woman, unnamed and unknown, demonstrates more understanding and faith than any Jewish leader that Jesus had encountered thus far in dialogue in Mark's gospel. Any of them. She doesn't care that she is a dog as long as she can eat at the table of Christ. She understands that blessing will flow through Israel to her, uh, to her, to her people. She understands that listening to Jesus means obedience despite mystery. She is truly hearing Christ in ways that the Jews and even the disciples of Jesus have not yet been able to demonstrate. She does not need to inquire of Jesus in private an explanation of the parable, whereas the disciples every single time appear to need some kind of explanation. She's not only a Gentile, she is of the most despicable region of Tyre, a mixed-blooded pagan idolater with no theological training. And furthermore, she is a woman whose voice would mean nothing in this time and era. She has a daughter who is unclean and possessed. And yet, what do we see in the Bible? Her faith. Her faith in Christ. Here is the distinction that Mark is making for us. Where the Pharisees and the Jews had the law and their assurance of salvation was found and grounded in their keeping of the law, here is a woman that, according to the Jews, does not have the law. She is the last of those who should be at the feet of the Messiah, and yet there she is. The law deems her unclean and unfit for covenant membership. She is not who the Messiah comes for, and yet it is her, not the law-keeping Jews that is able to see Jesus for who he is. And she comes to him, hears his word, acts in obedience, from faith, receives a blessing, from Christ. Mark is redirecting his audience to see this, that there is no salvation in the law itself, but in the person of Christ alone and his accomplished works as a benefit to those who believe in him. There is no salvific benefit or detriment on the basis of what DNA or blood flows through your body, but rather that benefit exists only in those who have been washed by the blood of Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, but that is not to say that being a Jew under the law means certain dismay. For we've already read this story before, at least a variation or version of it, but with a Jewish protagonist instead of this Syrophoenician woman at the feet of Christ. Do you remember this story? Well, let me remind you of the person of Jairus. His daughter lay still in bed, and so he sought Jesus. He bowed at his feet. He implored Christ, heal my daughter, and Christ did. Whether Jew or Gentile, in Christ, we are all one. For the grace of God is a barrier breaker. It puts, us, it puts all people on the same ground, in need of that grace for salvation. At the end of Mark, we will find a Roman soldier after the crucifixion of Christ. He looks up, and for the very first time in his life, for whatever compelling reason, and there's no logical or rational explanation for this. It's the Spirit working in him. He looks up and he says to himself, truly, this is the Son of God. And what is extraordinary, he too will bow at the feet of Jesus. A Jew, a Syrophoenician, a Roman centurion. One day, brothers and sisters, every knee will bow. As Mark tells us today, whether it may be in this world, Jesus cannot be hidden, and he will be made known everywhere.
So I encourage you all to consider this. Consider not only how you came to the feet of Christ, to know him as truly the Son of God, but also to consider how you might partake in making him known so that others would also bow at his feet. Let's pray and consider what Christ's word and God's word is teaching us today. rise from our seats and respond to God's word with teaching and song.
This narrative, and we're reminded of just what great blessing we have received, even if it may, if, even if it may be crumbs uh, from your table, that we're able to eat and enjoy and be part of the household uh, in Christ. So we thank you for your invitation of us. We thank you uh, for your desire to see uh, many come to you and bow their feet before you. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and uh, we ask that we would be in constant. Uh, remembrance of him in our lives for we are so distant from that memory too much of our lives we thank you so much for this church and its and the community here we give to you this offering and we ask the lord that it would be used for the ministry of this church and the ministry of christ um, in the city and in this uh, locality we ask um, that it would be used faithfully um, and that ultimately it would benefit uh, you your name renowned and made to be made known in this world uh, and we hope and long for a day where every knee will bow, and we are certain it will uh, occur, for it is recorded as for in Scripture, and we look, uh, we look towards and long for that day, uh, and we just honor and worship you. Uh, we praise, pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, it's a little bit of a gloomier day today uh, than our typical summer weather. Hopefully you've been well. The smoke and the smog has been 
a little bit uh, bad this weekend, um, but it was Canada Day weekend, and so hopefully you got to get some rest and enjoy um, the festivities or whatever you were doing. Uh, welcome to Sheepgate. Welcome to all of you. Uh, thank you for being with us here today, uh, whether it be virtually or here in person. We're grateful to have you. Uh, we're, we, if you're new to our church, we'd love to get to know you more. Offerings can be sent. Um, of course, we have our basket in the back with envelopes. You can write your legal name down and make sure you do that uh, if you are giving that way. And uh, you can uh, put it into the basket. Or uh, we have e-transfer set up at sheepgatefellowship at gmail.com. Uh, so you can give both ways. If you're giving towards our missionaries, uh, please just note that in the notes section for either Asia Minor or our local missionaries. Please uh, join us for fellowship following service today. We're going to be heading over to our other building and uh, having some, I think it's like noodles today. So please join us uh, for a nice hearty meal um, and some great fellowship with, uh, with fellow brothers and sisters. Uh, Confession chapter 10 will commence next week. Um, today we have communion, so kind of extended our time. So just for time, just due to time constraint. We did end a little earlier or faster than I was expecting, but uh, regardless, I did not prepare chapter 10, so uh, we'll prepare for next week. Just read 10.1, and uh, if you're eager or keener, you can read up to all of chapter 10. It's only, I think, four paragraphs in chapter 10, so it's a pretty short chapter. Um, so yeah, you can read ahead if you'd like. Um, the visitations have begun. Uh, I didn't get a chance to look at the document today, uh, but now you are overdue. Uh, the due date has passed, and so you're canceled. Just joking. Um, I love to have visitations with you all. Uh, again, the reason and purpose behind the visitations is um, uh, really for, for me to share with you in a more intimate setting, um, a little bit more about the church uh, as well as myself, um, and help you to um, you know, just kind of understand things maybe on a more uh, personal level. Uh, but most importantly for me to connect with you as a church uh, member and participant. Um, so it's my desire to go through visitations each year um, so that I can just keep up, right? It's, it's, not, um, it's not ideal uh, for me to like just constantly be in conversation with everyone all the time. Um, and so this is sort of one of the ways or means by which I'm able to uh, see how you're doing um, and for you to see how I'm doing. And, um, and just get to know you more. Um, that's my hope and desire for it. Um, and so I'd love to have visitations with you. So please, again, if you'd like to group up, uh, just no more than three, so two or three at most. If you are the same household, preferably to stick together if you can. Um, and uh, if you can invite me to your place, I'd love to have worship at your place. Um, if that's an option. Um, so please just, yeah, all of those elements, just keep in mind. The document is still, the link is there in the chat. Uh, if you have access to it, please just uh, finish that by tonight if you can. And then I'll personally message uh, your pairing or your group, or if you want to do it alone, uh, I'll be messaging you and we'll uh, figure out a time and place uh, to have those visitations, okay? Uh, it's nothing daunting. I'm not like, I'm not going around. I'm not snooping around to see like what, uh, what uh, fun stuff is happening. I'm just, just want to see how spiritually you're all doing, right? So uh, please sign up for that. Um, I'd like to hopefully get everyone done. Uh, at least re like uh, a, a time and place set, and then uh, finish visitations by August-ish, right? Okay, retreat team. So Jess and Ivy are going to be planning our retreat, and uh, we need some help. And I know some people already told me. I'm so sorry. I actually forgot who told me they were willing to help. Uh, so you're going to have to talk to Jess and Ivy <laughs> uh, following service A, 
and then we'll make a group chat and then figure out like uh, in terms of, like roles and other things. So we need help with like you know transportation, cooking, like finding a location, games, um, worship, like blah 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 blah, right? A bunch of stuff, right? So whatever it is, uh, you, we there's no limit. So it's not like we're looking for five people. Um, anyone and everyone who's willing to help, uh, please just talk to Jess and Ivy, and uh, we want to get that set, uh, especially date and location set as soon as possible so that all of you can, for those who are working, can uh, uh, book it off if possible. Okay, Bible studies has made its glorious return. It's crazy, right? Uh, it's big news. Um, this Thursday, 6.30 p.m. at the other church building, uh, we'll be gathering for our continuation of our Bible studies. Please join us, um, you know, if you can and are able to, and are willing to. It's a fantastic time of just intimate reading. Uh, in scripture and and going deep into the text so we're just going to be going through john just bring a bible and you're good to go uh, so we'd love to see you there thursday 6 30 uh softball game today 5 p.m jack Goodlad, and we're aiming uh, a lot of i have received more questions about this than anything in our church history when is our barbecue and what is the menu i have re- like visitations Retreat. These are all secondary to barbecue, apparently. Um, so stop asking me. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Um, it's it's uh, right now. We're looking at July twenty third. Uh, the reason it keeps getting delayed is uh, the adults who are older uh, just issues being outside with the wildfire stuff. So and weather, right? So we're hoping July twenty third. Aiming for that. Um, but again, if it doesn't happen, don't, like, shoot me, like, you know, when's the barbecue, All right? How about when's the Bible study? Man, that'd be a great question to ask. Um, anyways, oh, and finally, CrossCon. So I've started to kind of figure out who's going. But again, I forgot everyone who, like, told me that they're going. Uh, but we, we have a general group chat now, so just talk to me or, like, anyone else you know that is going. And we'll just include you in. And I'm going to purchase tickets probably by, by this month by the end of July, right? So uh, CrossCon, January 3rd to 5th, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, we'd love to see you there. Uh, We're paying for your ticket, everything else you pay for. So if you'd like to come, uh, please join us. It does say 18 to 25 year olds, but like clearly I'm not 25, so all of you are welcome to come. So uh, with that said, let's rise from our seats. Oh, sorry, I'm so sorry. Sit down, sit down. Happy birthday, Jane. Got your book. It finally arrived. It's called The Christian Lover by Michael A.G. Haken. And uh, it's a little diary of, of believers who uh, diary entries about uh, the fruitfulness of their marriage. I don't mean to like imply anything, um, but I thought you would love it. Yeah. There you go. Josiah and John Park are both not here, right? Oh, who meets Josiah during the week? All right, Aaron, can you give this book to him? Guys, this is a, don't clap for this guy. It's not his birthday. Um, Christianity and Liberalism. If you've never read this book by Meachin, this is a must read. Yeah, so tell him this is a good one. Uh, happy birthday. Awkward claps. Now you may rise. Let's end off the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, please help. Uh, feel free to mingle for a bit, and then we're going to head over to the church to eat.